welcome back to Word Up with Danny Katz. I am your host, Danny Katz. I am an author, journalist, and a quantum languaging coach and consultant. What that means is that I teach people how language programs consciousness, how language programs reality at large, and how to transform reality and evolve our consciousness with language. I've also been known to cultivate and share an opinion or two or 12 about culture and consciousness and how they are evolving, devolving, and being manipulated by the powers that were. Here at Word Up, we are devoted to fostering critical thinking while supporting you in becoming your most authentic, empowered, liberated, realized, amazing version of yourself. Our every show aims to expand your consciousness, raise your frequency, sharpen your critical thinking skills, and make you giggle. (laughs) And think. Given the radical uptick in censorship over the past few years, combined with the complete co-opting slash decimation of my own personal industry, journalism, I started Word Up to have a free speech-friendly platform in which to engage exploratory, solutions-based conversations with visionaries, mystics, original thinkers, and rebel badasses who are helping to make the world more wonderful. The first half of my interviews run between 30 to 90 minutes and are always posted here for free public listening. The second halves are reserved for paid supporters on my Patreon and my Locals platforms, where for as little as $5 a month, you can access all of my second half conversations along with oodles of other bonus content and opportunities to drop in with me, to drop in with our High Vibe tribe, and lots of other awesome things. In addition to interviews, Word Up also features quantum languaging upgrades, planetary service announcements, and propaganda analysis, which I call Spot the Propaganda. Thank you so much for tuning in and for sharing your sacred attention with me and our high vibe tribe of change makers. Be sure to click that subscribe button so you can stay abreast of our every episode. Thank you for also clicking the like button, for sharing far and wide, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As well, if you are gleaning any value whatsoever from these shows, consider supporting me on Locals and or Patreon. And as you are wanting to learn more about my quantum languaging coaching and consulting services or nab copies of my books, find me on dannycats.com as well as on quantumlanguaging.com. Okay, I think that's it for our housekeeping. Buckle up and prepare to enjoy this episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Welcome back to another episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Today, it is my great pleasure to be joined once again by Dr. Andrew Kaufman. I had interviewed Dr. Kaufman last fall, October, I think, um, and I really wanted to have Andrew back to talk about 
some of the integrity lapses and attempts to control speech and thought and exploration within the health freedom movement. So this was inspired by some backlash that I was privy to Andrew receiving from his perspectives and inquiries into flat earth theory. Now, we all know that flat earth is uh, has been super weaponized as a means of discounting anything valid coming out of what is often deemed conspiracy. Anyway, so I had Andrew on to discuss what was going on inside the health freedom community and why so many people are trying to squelch this conversation and what are the repercussions. So as always, part one of my conversation is free for the public. Part two is available for paid supporters on Patreon and locals. I'm reminding you to click that subscribe button, to like, to share, and to buckle up and prepared to enjoy my conversation with Dr. Andrew Kaufman. So I'd heard through the health freedom community that there was some, uh, I guess, some gossip about a, a conference you attended and then some opinions that it was hurting the health freedom movement to entertain other ideas. And I just kind of wanted to get your take on that. Yeah, sure. What, what conference was that? I guess it was a flat earth conference and the couple people that I talked to in the health freedom community were completely incensed um, and repeating various iterations. So let me um, clarify. I never attended a flat earth conference. I was invited to attend one, but uh, it conflicted with uh, another um, engagement, actually. Okay, cool. I mean, basically what I've been hearing, and, it, and it's all gossipy and, and second and third hand, which is why I wanted to get you here, is that because you have spoken around flat earth, that that is endangering the health freedom movement and that oh. some people are seeing it as a direct attack. And it just has me wondering, like, if this movement is so flimsy that it can't stand up to other conversations that have nothing to do with it, then how much integrity is in the movement to begin with? That is true, but I've never spoken about flat earth publicly. Um, there were some people who uh, were worried that I associated with Amanda Vollmer. Okay. Um, and other people, like I was on a show called Globebusters, but we were only talking about germ theory, not about flat earth. Okay. Are so, you familiar with the pushback that I'm talking about? Or is it only Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, no, I mean, because... Uh, when I, you know, after I did something with Amanda, like I got uh, a, a few people who are very um, emotionally attached to their opinion that I should never go there. And it was kind of interesting because one, one individual made, you know, like extremely strong claims. And then I asked him, I said, well, can you provide your best evidence, you know, for a spherical earth? Mm -hmm. And but he didn't send me any evidence at all. He just sent me other people making claims without evidence. <laughs> right. So that, you know, I can sort of talk about because, you know, it there are many scientific um, paradigms or hypotheses that are completely not based on evidence. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're all like germ theory. In fact, even within biology, it goes much deeper than that. So, you know, the cosmology of the earth is one of those areas. Why do you think it is that people get so triggered around this? Like, it seems like such a weaponized topic. 
Well, to be honest with you, I, I don't think it's uh, completely unique because when I started speaking about uh, germ theory from a critical point of view, you know, doing similar research to many others in the, you know, kind of area that's sometimes known as conspiracy theory, mm -hmm. right, where people actually find out real information that, and then they realize that it's not what is stated in CNN headlines or in government you know, official websites, even though the documents, many of them are written by the government. <laughs> and so I looked back on conspiracy researchers that, you know, talked about health or medicine in the course of them reporting on other topics. And I noticed this pattern that whenever they talked about that, they reverted immediately to accept the mainstream allopathic viewpoint about medicine, right? That, uh, you know, vaccines are good even, or that, you know, <laughs> antibiotics will cure you. And in fact, a lot of individuals even, you know, when they're talking about being prepared, if you don't have access to medical care, they want you to get all these pharmaceuticals. So it that was also a weak point. And I think because, you know, it is an existential issue, right? right? If I don't trust the medical establishment, then what happens if I get sick and I'm going to die? <laughs> what do I do then? Right. And so I think that there are certain other topics uh, that are also very charged in a way that involves some psychological or emotional or spiritual uh, prospect. And so, you know, one of them is nutrition, for example, that, you know, there you have uh, people who have a very, very strong emotional attachment to their view of what is a proper diet. And then, you know, you also have this earth cosmology discussion, right. which is, is another thing. And I think because that has, it's the origin story, right? It's like everything else is based on that, right? Because it tells you, well, what's the nature of the world we live in? Right. And so also it seems that people are not willing to look closely at the evidence and like take a basically an unattached viewpoint say okay i'm going to look i want to understand how the world is the nature of it so i'm going to just look at what i see find evidence and then from that evidence i'm going to deduce um you know what is what right. <laughs> instead you know they just go to you know like what's in the essentially textbooks that they give us in school now we know in almost all these areas the textbooks are not accurate they don't present the actual evidence and you know one uh, really important experiment that is related to the cosmology because it's an experiment about the motion of the earth mm -hmm. and it's called the michelson morley experiment and it's been repeated many times and i think very few people with just general scientific literacy are really aware of the of this experiment and its controversy but it was a very well-designed experiment, very repeatable. And, you know, we have a reproducibility crisis in science. So this experiment being done dozens of times, giving the same result is, uh, is very validating that the results are accurate. And the conclusions of the results of this experiment, and I won't go into the details because it is a little bit uh, complicated if you don't understand basic physics, that the results essentially showed that the earth is is stationary that it's not moving whoa yes very interesting and this was then afterwards 
after it was published and interpreted this way. And by the way, physics at that time also included the ether, or the fifth element, or the essentially uh, substrate that everything takes place in, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like that light is essentially a perturbation of the ether. Now, the ether has come back into modern physics. They just gave it a different name because they realized it doesn't go away because it's a real thing, right? And they call it dark energy or dark matter now, giving it a negative connotation. So right. But if you go back, like, for example, to Maxwell's equations, right? Maxwell was uh, to, uncovered all these laws of how electricity and magnetism behave. The equations include, the, they take into account the ether. So that was the accepted... Um, understanding of the physical universe at that time. Now, because of this result that showed the Earth was stationary and took into account the ether, um, th there was a movement, right, because that didn't accept that because we're told, you know, the Copernican model that the Earth is moving around the sun. And so there stepped in Einstein. And, um, you know, whether it was actually his work or someone else's work, but what they did was basically reinterpreted the results, but by using a trick, by essentially changing the mathematical equations that fit the data by um, in introducing a coefficient, they were able to achieve two things. Like one is that they essentially canceled out the ether and then they were able to reinterpret the experimental results under the new theory of general relativity. Mm -hmm. And so, in other words, it, it still showed the Earth was stationary. However, relativity allowed the data to fit two solutions, not just that the Earth is stationary. It's that the Earth is stationary and the Sun is moving, or the Sun is stationary and the Earth is moving. Okay. And that's just a little trick to reinterpret the data and say, oh, well, we know the sun is moving already, so we'll just reinterpret it and say the sun is moving and the, uh, you know, the earth is moving rather than the sun, mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, that's what we want to conclude. And, and in order to do this successfully, we have to get rid of the ether. And uh, when you, I, I just want to ask, like, in terms of using coefficients in math to come to this conclusion, is it just... Like, do you see it as some sort of like psycho-emotional, well, I want to succeed in finding the answer and take this off my plate? Is there some more like nefarious aim to confuse? Right. Is it just half-assed science? Well, see, you know, in our modern compulsory schooling system, we essentially really don't teach mathematics. In fact, we kind of generate fear around it, being intimidated by it, like, you know, you can Definitely everyone learns the basic arithmetic, but, you know, so you can make change, but that's about it. And so there are a lot of things that can be uh, manipulated around mathematics that have nothing to do with reality. You know, mathematics is more like a language okay. and it's a tool. And I do believe that, you know, it accurately describes things in nature, right? Because we have equations, um, for example, that predict things in the real world. Now, they may also have a margin of error. Right. Like if we can use uh, one of Newton's equations to calculate, you know, how long it will take for an object to fall to the ground if we drop it from a given height, for example, or for projectiles, if that depending on the angle that we launch them, uh, how far will they go? But uh, and we get very close if we actually measure 
a real experiment and do the equation, but there's an error factor. There are unknown uh, factors, right, like the wind forces or things like that. But it's still very, very useful, and it allows engineers to make devices and machines that work successfully. So mathematics can be a very positive thing. And in science, it's useful if you observe things in nature, and then you can, from that, those numbers that you observe, you can derive an equation that can then predict that behavior if you change the circumstances of the experiment. And that's useful, right? That's just kind of what I describe with some of Newton's equations or Maxwell's equations uh, on electricity and magnetism allow that. But mathematicians or physicists often change equations based on a theoretical assumption or uh, to make the outcome uh, be more aligned with a theory or idea that they have. And in fact, you have a whole modern field of, you know, theoretical physics, mm -hmm. which is really just a bunch of guys coming up with, uh, you know, their own, through their imagination, some kind of uh, fake understanding of nature, and then writing up equations and then showing that, oh, if the equations are valid, it lends support to my theory, right? And this is actually a logic fallacy. It's called affirming the consequent. Mm -hmm. uh, because in order to determine how nature works, you have to observe nature. And then based on your observations, you can come up with a hypothesis. But you don't come up with a hypothesis and then observe something that could fit that hypothesis and say it proves the hypothesis because there could be many, many solutions to that. So it's a big fallacy in logic. What's interesting about what you just said is it's like elevating the in, the like egoic intellect over what's real. If we have the the theory first versus what's actually happening, and I I just wonder right. how much of what's going on is just human ego getting in the way of what's real. Well, this is why you have you know something like modern string theory, right, where it has multiple dimensional mathematics, like matrix mathematics. And when that's been applied to any experimental situations, it has not matched the data, right? So it's, it's just not valid. But I think if you go around and ask people about string theory, they say, oh, yeah, that's like a theory that explains everything in the universe. And they don't realize that it's, you know, just a bunk idea that has no, no merit of matching the actual universe that we live in. Right. And so there, there are so many ways that this is obfuscated. Um, you know, I think an example that I, I want to talk more about in general is in the theory of genetics. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, and when I learned this in college, the way it was introduced, and this was from a postdoc who worked with Watson and Crick, was my professor. Mm -hmm. He came on, you know, the first day and I said, I'm going to teach you the central dogma of biology. So now you're studying religion. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it is completely dogmatic because there's not evidence. But at the time, it sounded like a powerful word to me. I wasn't familiar with it being a young college freshman. Mm -hmm. And it stuck with me all these years. And that, then when I thought about it later on, knowing what dogma was, it, uh, it led me you know, to look at it in a whole different way. And what it says is this dogma is that all of the information, you know, the blueprint for our body, in other words, a completely material view that if we have this blueprint, um, we don't need anything else but the building materials, right? Mm -hmm. There's no consciousness or non-material aspect. 
that it has genes and each gene is the instructions for a protein and proteins perform all the functions in our body. And it goes from the DNA in the nucleus to be transcribed to RNA and then the RNA gets translated and builds the specific protein that it allegedly contains the instructions for. But if we apply simple arithmetic based on what's in the published data, because you know they've completed the human genome project now and they have characterized all the genes in the human you know, roadmap or blueprint. Mm-hmm. And there are, depending on which paper you look at, about between 22,000 and 25,000 genes. Now remember, each one of these genes is supposed to code for a specific protein, right, that provides all the function in the body. And in fact, it's known that some proteins require more than one gene because they might have like different subunits. So you really need more genes than proteins Mm -hmm. to make this work, right? But it's actually the other way around because in the published literature, it's said that humans make about 100,000 proteins. So four to five times as many proteins as genes. So in other words, there's not nearly enough instructions in our DNA blueprint to make the proteins in our body. So that means there must be some other source of instructions or information that tells our body what proteins to make. Okay. But everyone in biology and medicine acts as if all proteins are made from, are instructed by genes and no one, there's not any research studies really that are looking for another source of information. Now there is some preliminary work done uh, actually by a famous virologist who just uh, died recently uh, within a year or or so, Luc Montagnier, where he showed how through radio waves um, that you can communicate information from one DNA sequence to another one in a separate vessel. And there's some other work around that. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the mainstream, there's not even an acknowledgement of this problem. In fact, all of the gene therapy and many uh, drugs are based around, you know, genes and gene products, not realizing that um, these things come from somewhere else. <laughs> so, of course, everything that you look at that's built upon this basic, you know, lie or fraud of genetics is going to be wrong. Hey, superstars, thank you so much for sharing your sacred attention with me. If you are receiving any value whatsoever from my videos, I am encouraging you to give back, to pay it forward by supporting me on my Patreon community, on my locals community, on both. Your support allows me to keep on keeping on and to keep making content like this. It used to be much easier back in the days of a free press, but now given all of the censorship and the shadow banning, it really is challenging for content creators to continue to put out so much work. I'll just speak for myself. It's been, I'm excited for it to be easier for me to continue to put out more content and the primary way that it can be easier is by you supporting me financially by way of my Patreon and or my locals, where for as little as $5 a month, you get to be my hero and receive oodles of bonus content, and we both get to win. Okay, thank you so much for your support, for your attention, and for being Omniscopic Amazingness. I've I've been suspicious of genetics, and I've been a student of the Gene Keys. Are you familiar with the Gene Keys? No, what is that? 
It's a spiritual transmission that delineates each of the 64 DNA codons as pathways to enlightenment. So it's, you know, we're not dealing with the same genetic study that scientists are, but it always brought into question for me, the idea of junk DNA and how like, well, just because you don't know what it is yet, it's useless junk. You know, just as a layman, that's always been my suspicion around the genetics conversation. Right. Well, there is this preposterous idea that 99% of it is, you know, was originally called junk, but they know since then that it has some other function. But but let me say that that also, all of that information is also predicated on something false because I haven't found the primary evidence that they actually shown that nucleotides exist in biological organisms. You know, this was originally, if you go back and look at the origins of it, they essentially did chemistry to biological samples and found in some samples that they had uh, phosphorus, mm -hmm. which wasn't associated with proteins, and that led to the whole thing about DNA. But actually taking one of the nucleotides, you know, DNA is said to be a polymer made up of four different nucleotides that are attached together in different orders. Mm -hmm. But I'm not aware of any study where they've actually shown that a, a single nucleotide exists in a biological organism. So we know that they can make synthetic DNA and RNA, right? Mm -hmm. They ha actually have machines, like a benchtop machine or, or bigger ones, floor standing. I mean, this is what the vaccine manufacturers allegedly use to make their mRNA if it's, they actually did that. So you and it's used in GMO products. In fact, you know, spike protein, which isn't found in nature, it's a man-made protein. It's made by making synthetic DNA and then putting it in a, a host organism to uh, kind of biohack it to make something that it doesn't make in nature. So we know that that DNA is a technology <laughs> that exists, right? And it can be demonstrated that way, but it's really not clear that DNA is actually present in the human body. Mm -hmm. oh, I that's know that sounds astonishing. And the same thing is true of many substances, uh, many nutrients and vitamins, um, that these things uh, may not be in the body at all in the way that we think uh, that they exist. Okay, that's a pretty massive statement that DNA might not actually exist. In, in the human body, it exists as a man-made substance absolutely right. so with this perspective is there like is there any upside to genetic tinkering manipulation engineering that whole realm that they're playing with right now is there any upside to it no i don't believe so <laughs> mm -hmm. i think it's interesting that you've i mean you're honing in on these big questions like does dna exist do germs exist? You know, what is the shape of the earth? And I'm wondering, like, were you always wired for these big existential questions and you know, <laughs> availing yourself to this type of worldview unraveling? Or did something happen that brought you into these conversations? Well, I think the answer is yes to all of the above. I mean, ever since I was a young boy, I was just had intense curiosity. Mm -hmm about how everything worked. Like I am one of those, you know, type of individuals who wants to understand everything. Like I'm not happy just learning how to use something. I want to know how it works at a basic level. Right. right. And I have this intense curiosity and that 
also applies to like big systems. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I was told that there was some rule, for example, uh, you know, it could be in a sports league, uh, you know, camp, school, any, any institution that I was involved with as a child, there were a lot of rules I noticed that didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Right. Like even just things like asking permission to go to the bathroom, like, why would you need permission? It's a natural function. Right. And so I started questioning things like that and then saying, you know, okay, what, what is this place? How, who makes the rules? Why do they make the rules like this? Right. You know, what's the real purpose? And of course I got deeper and deeper into asking those questions as I matured and then became more intimately involved in those systems. Like, you know, in the medical system, you know, when I was a regular uh, doctor, I kept asking those questions too, because I saw that patients weren't getting better. And so this is kind of what led me on this path. And over the course of, you know, the first question that I really looked at in research wise, and I was actually trying to prove to a friend that I was right taking the mainstream view was about the, you know, so-called global warming climate change scam. Right. And when I looked for scientific evidence, I realized that the only thing that was out there was computer models. And I had worked with computer models in a, a company called Biogen, and I knew they could be tweaked to show anything you want. Mm -hmm. And it didn't have to match up with reality. And then I saw all this other physical evidence from, uh, you know, from the past, from the present, all kinds of things that, you know, showed that there's no relationship um, in fact, there is a relationship between CO2 and uh, warming that because as you heat the ocean, CO2 is less soluble. So if you look at evidence from tree rings and ice cores, for example, you see that the temperature increased in the past because, you know, temperature is changing all the time over history. Mm -hmm. And then a delay of, you know, uh, 50 to 100 years, you would see the CO2 rise because it would come out of solution in the ocean and go into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. uh, this is well known, you know, in, in a physic, physical chemistry world, it's not anything surprising. It's just like, you know, the other uh, big contradiction about icebergs melting will cause sea level rise. Right. You know, water is unique from other liquids that actually when it's in ice, um, it's less dense. So it takes up more space as icebergs. So if the icebergs all melted, it would actually cause the sea level to go down if all else was equal. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not how sea level goes up and down at all anyway. It has to do with the ocean floor and the shifting uh, landmass underneath the ocean mostly, mm -hmm. uh, what leads to, to sea level. So, you know, wh when you, so I started looking into these things and I saw that by, you know, simple science, you could show some of these things uh, were not true. And then I, you know, kind of avoided, I think, looking at medicine too closely at first because it was very, you know, close to home. I have to change what I do. Right. But I did pay close attention to what was happening before my eyes. And then when I started looking for the evidence, I, you know, eventually led down the path that I'm on now. I appreciate you saying that there was that resistance because it would shift you know your identity your profession your income all of those things and i i know you said earlier you know it's, it's existentially threatening to reconsider the shape of the earth in the same way it's existentially threatening to reconsider whether viruses exist 
And I, I think that's sort of a compassionate perspective on the resistance that I see within the health freedom community to entertain these conversations. But for me, because I, I'm tracking patterns, I'm tracking propaganda, and just noticing like Hegelian dialectic, if the problem remains unquestioned, then we will always need solutions. And then I get suspicious in financial conflicts of interest within those solutions. And I know that I've received some criticism for endangering the movement. And it's, you know, I'm just wondering like how much of this is bad actors, controlled opposition, basic ignorance, basic psychological unwillingness to question some things. Yeah, I think it, it's all of the above. You know, there certainly are folks out there who want to suppress or ridicule certain ideas, um, you know, so that others won't take them seriously. And, um, you know, because as we kind of wake up to things and start to learn more and more and go deeper and deeper, um, there are folks who want to stop that process, <laughs> you know, so that you don't understand the full truth. And I, I face this all the time with germ theory. Um, and I've been criticized a lot for dividing the health freedom movement about this issue um, when it actually, once you realize the truth of it, it, it provides a lot more freedom <laughs> because it's freedom from fear of the, you know, fear of the imaginary really is what it is. And, uh, but a lot of people aren't willing to look at it now. And I know that if I, I have, if I d delve into other areas that are very controversial, that I'll also, you know, that people will, will criticize me or use it to ridicule me, mm -hmm. right? Like if I talk about earth cosmology, uh, you know, that would certainly happen. Even when I've been associated with other people who talk about that, I, you know, get comments, emails, messages, um, you know, basically saying, oh, your whole credibility would be thrown out the window if you say this, right? And, right. and I know there, that I know that I will lose uh, some portion of the audience if I talked about that, right, right in, in that way. And I'm not saying what my position is, but I'll tell you one thing that is for sure, that if you look at all of these scientific paradigms, including earth cosmology, including genetics, including, you know, how the heart works, what is cancer, uh, you know, um, quantum physics, uh, the uh, double slit experiment, Right. There are many, many uh, areas. I'm sure there are a lot more that are just not on the tip of my tongue right now. Mm -hmm. um, they all have very uh, various things in common. Right. So they all have a lack of of objective evidence to support them mm -hmm. uh, to varying degrees. They don't employ the scientific method. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're all based on materialism, right? the philosophy that uh, looks at organisms kind of as machines that all properties are contained in the physical material and there is nothing else mm -hmm. right there's no god there's no consciousness consciousness is just an emergent property of the physical kind of like a radio transmitter that it's the physical thing and it generates a waveform mm -hmm. that's non-material right that we're no nothing more than a sophisticated radio transmitter essentially mm -hmm. and um that is, you know, not consistent with actual observations of nature. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it leads to a lot of uh, flawed and false hypotheses that are often called theories. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but a theory has to actually have strong empirical evidence uh, before it gets that title. It can't just be someone's idea not backed up by evidence. Mm-hmm. And here's an interesting um, test that you'll, you can look at in many of these areas. So on the one hand, you have a like theoretical science. For example, let's talk about nuclear physics. Right, that there's radioactive elements and they emit radioactive particles and they decay. Mm-hmm. Right, um, so there's all the theoretical science about that and equations and such. Now, then on the other hand, you have an actual nuclear fission reactor, right, mm-hmm. a uranium or plutonium reactor that generates electricity. They put uranium isotopes in there, they mine from the ground, right, they have a certain technology that they worked out, and from that, they heat water, generates electricity. Mm-hmm. Now, it turns out that the engineers who designed the nuclear fission reactor did not require or utilize any of the theoretical nuclear physics. How did they make it? Well, that's exactly the question. They made it uh, in such a way that it works to generate electricity, but it does not dependent on that theoretical science. So does that mean that the theoretical science is, you know, useless Mm -hmm. um, in this context? And there are many things like that. So it's this similar to what I was saying about genetics, like you can manufacture DNA and put it in vectors or plasmids and transfect cell cultures or organisms with it in a certain way and, and hack that organism to make something that it doesn't normally make, like for industrial purposes. But that doesn't mean that that's the way the organism works in nature to make the things that it makes. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like we have like a simulation. So in, uh, in the cosmology uh, issue, here's one interesting you know, fact, because so the official story uh, from NASA and governments and textbooks, right, is that it's Earth is a spinning globe, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that means that if you're flying an airplane on a, on a globe that was moving, you would have to do certain things um, to navigate it. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the government documents that teach how to navigate for, you know, pilots and air traffic control, uh, operators. Mm -hmm. And these include documents from NASA and the FAA. Mm -hmm. They tell you how to navigate using a stationary plane Earth model. So in other words, a model of the Earth that's a flat plane that Mm -hmm. doesn't move. So why would the technology of navigation like of an aircraft be based on a model that was different from what they say the Earth actually is? Is Why there would a nuclear sort of reactor work on principles that are not derived from theoretical physics? And why would, you know, GMO products uh, work uh, based on a technology that is not actually uh, shown to exist in, an, in an, a natural organism? Right. So all of these things present big contradictions that are very, very difficult to explain. much for tuning in to this latest episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. I am reminding slash 
thanking you to and for <laughs> clicking that subscribe button, for liking, for sharing, for commenting, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As you are receiving any value from my podcast, as you dig it, as you listen regularly, consider supporting me on Patreon and or Locals, where for as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of my second half podcast interviews, as well as oodles of bonus content. Your support really goes a long way in supporting me as a journalist and an independent content creator navigate her way through a really crunchy time in terms of free speech. And as you are wanting to learn more about my work in the world, my books, my products, my quantum languaging, coaching, and consulting, you can find me at dannycats.com as well as quantumlanguaging.com. And if you're not down with a membership patronage platform and want to send me one-time donation, you can use the Bitcoin link if it actually appears on your podcast listening platform. You could also send me a one-time donation by way of PayPal at dannycats at pm.me or by way of Venmo where my username is Sadie Bloom. Again, your support means the world and makes a massive, massive difference when it comes to continuing to share this work with the world. Thank you for sharing your sacred attention with me. Thank you for remembering that you are omniscopic amazingness and for having a rockin' day. See you next time, superstars.